Yes, Jesus. Would you respond to that goodness and mercy right now? Thank you, Jesus. As they were singing, I just began to sit there and just replace situations and circumstances of my past. Moments where I was convinced it was over. Moments I was convinced I had really messed things up. Moments I was convinced we weren't going to be able to make the payments. Moments I was convinced the health concerns were going to become realities. And I didn't always see it. I couldn't always see it in the moment, but now as I've gotten through it, I can look back on it. And I can say his goodness and his mercy. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's never turned his back on me. the silence don't confuse his silence for the fact that he's not listening don't, don't confuse the silence that he has somehow lost control but but sometimes in the silence we may not see it but God is moving and God is working and God is meeting the needs and it may look dark but the darkness is light to him thank you Jesus Thank you. Would you just once again lift your hands to the Lord and thank Him for His goodness, for His mercy. I'm so thankful for your goodness and mercy, God. I'm so thankful for your goodness and your mercy, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Rabasiti. Come on, just, just for a moment. He's moving in these, these aisles. There's someone who came here and they're depleted and you're empty and, and you've come to the end of your, your means and you uh, are looking at a situation and you have no answer and you have uh, in your own intellect and, and with what you've conferred with the experts, you have no idea what the next days or weeks or months. But there is a God who is not going to leave you or nor forsake you. Would you grab a hold of that today? Lord, I trust you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I direct your attention to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Thank you to this music team for your sensitivity. and Thank you for you all being sensitive to what you feel in the spirit today. When it comes to the presence of God, we're not in a rush. We live in a generation that is been conditioned by an instant mentality. You don't have to wait for it. You can just buy it. You can subscribe to it. You can click on it. But that's not how God works. The prophet said his ways are they're higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. We only see things from a human perspective. But there comes a a point where we have to realize that our human perspectives are, are only, they only can see so much. He sees the bigger picture. Acts 13, 22, we've been reading this over the course of the last two weeks. Say, when he had removed him, him being Saul, he raised up for them David as a king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will of this man's seed hath God according to his promise raised unto Israel a savior Jesus David was a man after God's own heart no one ever had that said of them and we discussed how it it's not really a singular moment that makes this statement true but it's the sum total of his life 
wasn't a singular attribute or characteristic, but it was the contents of his character. And when we begin to open the lid and look inside, we see that David was consistently humble. He was a man who, regardless of the platform, regardless of the stage, regardless of when people were looking at him or when people ignored him, he had the same spirit. And he prayed to keep that spirit. He said, God, I want a broken and contrite heart. We see that David continually prayed. He had a relationship with God. He relied on God. What's interesting about David, and I'll let you sit in a minute, what's interesting about David is, from what we can gather, he actually sinned more than Saul. We, we could actually say that, that what he did was worse than what Saul did. But what differentiated David from Saul is David had a teachable spirit. David constantly desired right standing with God. He, he constantly wanted to be in alignment with God. He said, Lord, take not your presence from me. Take this whole world. Take, take the child, take my family, take my wealth, take my kingdom, but don't take your spirit from me. Today, I draw your attention to another focus, another facet of this diamond that's David's life. And that is that he courageously led. He courageously led. Would you set your Bibles down? I feel a heaviness with this message today and feel that God has given me a very specific assignment. And would you just pray that our hearts would be open to receive what God would have for us? Would you just lift your, your hands and lift your voice? And would you just pray that in these next few moments, your heart would be attentive to what God is doing. He's, he's moving up and down this aisle. And I, I don't want to move so fast through this and get to lunch that I miss what he wants to do in this moment. Would you pray with me, Jesus? I pray right now, God. Would you touch every heart? Would you touch every mind, God? Lord, I, I bind, Lord, any spirit contrary to the working of the Holy Ghost. God, a spirit of distraction, a spirit, Lord, that would try to, Lord, God, take our mind. Lord, we put on the helmet of salvation today. Lord, we take every thought into captivity under the knowledge of the word of God. And Lord, we today submit to your word. We surrender to your will. And we pray that you would open our heart to receive what you would have for us. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Why don't you greet your neighbor and uh, you may be seated. I don't think any of us would argue or doubt the fact that David was a man of courage. He, he exemplified it throughout his life, a man of war, a man of battle. He was a skilled warrior. But understand something about David. David's life wasn't void of conflict. But rather, as you look at his life, it was one that was defined through conflict. Throughout David's life, he seems to be the subject of constant and continual attacks. Think about it with me for a minute. He was attacked from his family, from within the people that were blood relationship with him. His brother Eliab accused him and, 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 and came against the motives in his heart. His son Absalom tried to take over the throne. His other son Adonijah tried to take over the throne. There was dysfunction within David's family, and there was inner fighting attacks. David was attacked by authority, continually on the run from Saul. When Saul wasn't trying to pin uh, him back against a wall with a spear, he was seeking him like a dog with the armies of God, trying to find this man who was already anointed to be king. And then when Saul dies, we see that, that, that an illegitimate king, if I could say it that way, King Ishbosheth. Saul's relative gets anointed and he comes against David and there's authority that tries to come against David and attack him. David was attacked by random men that we don't really get much understanding of who they are or why they would try to come against him. Shimei, who threw stones at David. Sheba, Nabal, who, who, who when David tried to have peace with him, he came against him. And ultimately, he was attacked by a real enemy. The Philistines, the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the list just keeps going on and on. But, but with every attack, 
With every threat upon his life, with every insult, David continually responded with courage. He would would respond with clear and decisive leadership. He would respond with resolve and bravery. He would never slink away in fear, but he always responded courageously. And it's clearly visible through all of this that the source of David's courage, the reason for his confidence, the, the source of the bravery that he stood on was due solely to David's confidence in his relationship with God. There are many examples of this within the scriptures, but I direct your attention to one. In Psalms 27, verse 1, we read it last week. David would pen and say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, Understand, David's confidence was not in man. It was in God. David didn't seek to please man, but to please God. And David intimately knew this God, and he intimately knew the capabilities of his God. And, And so he could say, he's my light, and he's my salvation, and he's the strength of my life. Understand what that means. When he was saying, he's my light, David was saying, there's been real times in my life, Jim, when it's been dark, and I've not known where to go. There's been times when when spiritual authority was coming against me, and and I didn't know how to act. There was times when I was in a cave, and and my men are saying, you should kill this man, and and I didn't know what to do. And in every time when it was dark, and every time when I didn't know what to do, there was a moment when the light would shine. And I I began to know him as the light. He would later say his word, it's a a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. He, He said in moments of darkness I could see because of the light. And he was the light. He said he's my salvation there was times, tons of times where he was in trouble, Sister Kerr. The times when the enemy was coming at him. Times when, when Saul almost got him. Times when Ishbosheth would come against him. Times when the Amalekites would try to come in and take his family. And he said there were times when it was desperate, when I didn't know if I was going to make it the night. There was, there was times when I, when I had to sleep and, and sleep wouldn't allow me to fall asleep because I was so worried and anxious. And in those moments, he became my salvation. And when I was in trouble, and when I was in desperate situations, and when it looked like I was going to meet my end, I knew him as my salvation. So he's not only my light, he's my salvation, but he's also the strength of my life. There's been constant times where I'm sure he was weak, moments where he, he, he didn't feel like he could make it. There was times when, when, when he didn't want to eat, and there was times when he just felt probably like giving up, and, and, and there he is on the run, and, and it gets tiring living on the run. It gets tiring looking over your shoulder. It, it gets tiring wondering if you can trust the men that are in your inner circle, and there he is weak, and he says, when I'm weak, he's the strength of my life. And because of all of this, David simply replied, because of this, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? If he's, my, if he's my light, if he's my salvation, if he's the strength of my life, what can man do to me? We talked about this last week, but when we get an accurate picture of God, it changes the way we view everything. When I know him as my deliverer, the problem doesn't overtake me. When I know him as my provider, the need doesn't overwhelm me. When I know him as my savior, the failure doesn't overcome me. When I know him as my light, the darkness cannot overpower me. When I get a picture, an accurate understanding of who he is, it doesn't matter what weapon formed against me comes against me because it cannot prosper. Paul would say this, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for me, who can be against us? If God's on my side, it doesn't matter who's trying to knock down my front door. If God's in my corner, it doesn't matter the enemy that I'm facing down or the giant. Daniel would later communicate what David confidently knew. 
when he said the people of God or the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. He said the people who know their God, they're going to be strong. They're going to be courageous. They're going to be victorious. They're going to be brave. They're going to be filled with resolve and they're going to do great exploits. They will overcome, overtake, lead, walk in purpose and power. Your confidence will come not from yourself, you see, if you're, if you're going through the storm and you're trying to find confidence and you're looking in the mirror, you're going to feel unconfident. If you're looking in the mirror for answers and trying to dig down deep into the podcasts and the books you're reading and the things you've been taught in school, you're going to fail. But we don't take confidence in ourselves. Confidence is from the Lord. As a result, David courageously led and we see in Scripture, a number of ways he courageously led. Allow me to just share with you three stories. The first story, and you might want to jot this down just so you can go back to it. And then it makes me feel like you're, you're very interested in what I'm saying. Thank you. The first thing is David courageously led because there was a cause. Scripture tells us that Goliath stood against Israelite, the Israelites for 40 days. He came to them in the morning he returned in the evening. Forty days he would assault the Israelites with insults. Forty days he would come out against them and he would utter threats against the people of God. Forty days he would stand unmatched on a battlefield and say, is there someone courageous that can come out and fight me? Day after day, week after week, morning, evening. And for 40 days, Israel shuddered. And fear. That, that was until David comes on the scene. David, David wasn't fearful of Goliath. David was frustrated by him. He, he looked at him and said, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would try to defy the armies of the Lord? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Why are you hiding? David, David wasn't anxious David was aggravated. We're the people of God. We don't lose battles. We conquer territory. Yep. We, we have Jehovah Shalom on our side. We have Jehovah Jireh on our side. We have Jehovah Nisi, our banner. We have Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. We have Jehovah M. Kadesh. And David inquires on the reward. What's going to take to silence this foul mouth? What, what, what am I going to get? And any time, understand that this is very symbolic of what happens in our life. David steps up and says, what's the deal? What, what can I get for doing this? And his brother Eliab says, I know the naughtiness in your heart. Who do you think you are? We've gotten accustomed to hiding. We're quite good at it. We're okay living in fear. We're okay being at a stalemate with the enemy. And David looks at him and says, is there not a cause? Here's a man insulting the people of God. Is there not a cause? Here, here's, here's a man making a fool out of us. Is there not a cause to do something? And here's David, this little ruddy shepherd boy, someone who's been Forgotten on the backside of the wilderness. Someone who, who, who's been clearly frustrated by his brother. Someone who didn't even maybe have the confidence of his king. But he didn't care about all that because there was a cause. He didn't care what other people thought about him. He didn't care about the insults leveled against him. He didn't, thought that, he didn't care that he was forgotten one. He said, there's a cause. We know the story. David walks out on the battlefield not with popular weapons, but with proven ones. Yet, yes, he's small in the eyes of the giant, but he's big in the sight of God. And David goes to the giant, and the giant says, what, what is he going to send a dog? What, am, am I a dog that you send this little flea bag to come out? And David said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. Okay, you, you got better weaponry than I do. You have greater reach than I do. You're a bigger dude than I am. But you have something, you have, I have something that you don't. You may come to me with weaponry, and you might have the finest weaponry, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom I have defied. 
Where others hidden fear, David stepped out courageously because there was a cause. Where others talked about solutions, David became the answer because there was a cause. Where others dreamed of victory, David achieved victory because there was a cause. So what's your cause today? We, we can go on Google and we can type in and you can see that there are tons of causes that people give to. There's the Red Cross. There's Feeding America. There's the World Wildlife Foundation. There's the World Health Organization. These are all causes that people donate their time and effort to. But, but brothers and sisters, our cause is something so much greater our cause is focused on one day seeing our Savior face to face. Our cause is on saving people from fire and brimstone. Our cause is not temporal, but it's eternal. That there's a cause. We, we don't just come here to, to have fun. We don't just come here for community. We don't just come here because we're, we're misfits in the world and we need a place to belong. No, we come here because there's a cause. Because they're not a cause. With every cause, hear me today, there's a giant who would try to defy the Most High God. Giants that would spit accusations at you. Giants that are desiring you to cower in fear and walk in failure. Giants that want to stand in your way at every turn. Giants that want to present themselves in your place of employment. Giants that want to come against your family and want to come against your friends. Giants that want to overtake the people that used to sit in these pews. And for that I say, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause worth fighting for? Is there not a calling worth fighting for? Is there not an unsaved loved one worth fighting for? Is there not a family member that's worth fighting for? Is there not a cause? Uh, understand me. I, I'm, I know I might just be like a, a glorified cheerleader today and you might feel like I'm trying to get to your emotions and maybe I am. Maybe I'm just wanting you to believe it, that you have something deep down inside of you and you don't have to settle for, for, for average or, or mediocre, but you can stand up and you can break that addiction and you can start doing something greater for God. Yes. You don't have to fight this on your own. You don't have to fight this with carnal weapons. You don't have to continue to accept defeat because greater is he that's within you than he that is in the world. Amen. Like David, you can stand up and say, I don't come in my own power, but I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's at the name of Jesus that demons tremble. It's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's at the name of Jesus that strongholds are broken and chains are loose. It's at the name of Jesus that we have victory. It's at the name of Jesus that we have salvation. It's at the name of Jesus that you're going to get your healing. It's at the name of Jesus that people are going to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's at the name of Jesus that we bury them under the water in baptism. Everything we do is not in our name, but it's all in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Understand something about David. At this point in time, David wasn't a leader. David walked out on the battlefield. He had no power or authority. He had no title or position. He had no military training or support. Paul, our, our King Saul, wanted to give David his armor so that he was essentially transitioning the power to David. He said, you're the next king, and so I'm going to give you my armor so that when you go out on the battlefield, you can represent the authority. And David said, no, it's not my timing. I, I can't use your armor. I, I can't use what, what's yours. It, my time will come. And there David walks out on the battlefield. He has no power, but he has the influence of a king. David had, had stepped into the courts of a king and he had played the harp and, and yes, he had spears and javelins thrown at him, but in the midst of playing and those evil spirits leading the king, the king started to see this young shepherd boy for something and it was enough for his influence to get him into the presence of the king. Where others w wouldn't have the influence, where others would stand before the king and he would say, who are you? David had influence to approach the king. What, what am I trying to say? That there's this prevailing lie that the enemy would whisper in your ear. 
that, that you need to be a leader to walk in authority, that, that you need to have a title to pray for others, that you need to be a minister of the gospel or a pastor of a church to do certain things, that, that you need to be living for God for a certain period of time, and you at least have to read the Bible and have a, a, a good chunk of it memorized in order for you to step out and do something. And the enemy wants all that he can to give you this lie in your head that until you get the title, until you get the power, until you get the authority, you can't do nothing for God. And so there are people that are sitting on pews waiting for someone to come and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, there's a cause. And you see it. You see the cause. And you're saying, well, I'm not the pastor. I can't do anything about the cause. I, I see the cause. I see the issue, but I'm not a leader, so I can't do anything about it. I see the cause. I see the issue, but, but I don't have a title. So, so what can I do? David didn't let that bother him. And if you're waiting for an invitation, the invitation is here. When you see the cause, you can stand to your feet and you can say, I'm walking after it. I'm going courageously after it. I may not have a title. I may not have a position. I may not have the authority, but I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's all the authority that I need. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that in your workforce, you can lay hands on the sick and they can recover. I'm trying to say that in your workplace, when someone says, I want this Holy Ghost, you don't have to say, come to my church. You don't have to say, let my pastor pray for you. You can say, well, I'm going to pray for you right now. And God's going to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You see, where you go, the spirit of the living God goes with you. Where you go, the power of the almighty God goes with you. And you don't step out into battlefields in your own power and in your own ability, but you come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> David courageously led because there was a cause. Next we see that David courageously led because there was confusion. So he led in the midst of confusion. Time has passed and Goliath was now a faint memory. David finds himself on the run from Saul who's trying to kill him once again. And of all places, it doesn't have time to settle here, but of all places, David settles in the Philistine camp. He's actually going to create uh, you know, this agreement, I'll go out with you to battle. Why? He's fighting for the enemy. And the enemy says, listen, uh, peradventure we get out to battle and he turns on us, this isn't a good thing. Achish says, no, you, you got to go. And so David departs from the Philistines and he goes to Ziklag where his family is. And scripture tells us that when he arrives, that the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1 had invaded the south in Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women, those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughter. You can understand that, that there was some confusion and chaos. You can understand that the people weren't happy. It's a familiar enemy. Get this. This is not in my notes, but I, I need to say it. It's a familiar enemy. This, this is the Amalekites who are coming against them and have taken their children and have taken their wives. Well, why, is that, why is that significant? Because Saul was given the command to totally eradicate the Amalekites and he failed to do it. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, Dad, if you don't conquer some things in your life, you're going to pass it down to your son. If you don't stop looking at those things on the internet that you keep going back to time and time again, this generation curse is going to go from you, and it's going to go to your son, and it's going to go to his son. And it's time for a father, it's time for a mother to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to once and for all eradicate this enemy. He's not coming against my children. He's not coming against my ministry. He's not coming against my family. And so if you think you're going to come against me, guess again. And because Saul, because Saul couldn't eradicate it, David has to fight it. There's David. The Amalekites have wreaked havoc on their home. There's confusion. There's frustration. There's division. The, the men are saying, you know what? Let's kill this joker. It's his fault. It's, it's his fault that we got into this mess. What does David do? Scripture says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Again, this is, this is the thesis of today. His confidence was not in man. So when problems happened, when problems took place, he, he didn't go to a committee and say, hey, let's brainstorm this. I, he, wasn't, he didn't care about what they thought. 
because his confidence was in God. And so when man had no confidence in him, he didn't work to try to get their confidence back. He said, I'm going to go to the place where I'm confident. In this moment, I don't know what to do. In this moment, I don't know what the next step is, but I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. David encourages himself in the Lord. David inquires the Lord. He says, shall I, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? He has a Urim and the Thurim. He pulls out the stone that says, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. And verse 9, so David went. <laughs> We're living in a time where there's so much confusion in our world. There's confusion within our families. There's confusion about gender. There's confusion about the sanctity of life. There's confusion about the, the biblical pattern of marriage. Every news channel you turn on, whether it's right-leaning or left-leaning, is spitting out confusion. Every time people who are in positions of power in our world open their mouth, there's more confusion. There's confusion in the news and in politics. And with the confusion, many don't know what to believe. And in the confusion, many have, have found themselves in situations where there's chaos. It's created division. It's caused fighting within families. It's caused issues within churches. And in the midst of confusion, the enemy, understand, we're, we're not naive to what he is trying to accomplish. He's wanting to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so the, conf the confusion, it's a smokescreen so, so that he can get you puzzled and he can get you researching the answer and he can get you trying to figure out what's heads and what's tails and he can keep you out of this and going into this and trying to find the answer for what I should do and what tomorrow is going to bring. And in the midst of that, there's a generation, there's people who are confused and in the confusion, they start fighting. And opinions are being formed but I'm convinced that we need Christians that will ignore the arguments and seek God with their whole heart. Amen. Christians that will not fall for the bait of Satan, but will find strength in the Lord. Christians that will not be confused by what they hear, but will be confident by what they know. There's a lot of things I hear, but this one thing I know that he that started the good work will see it through to completion. This I know, that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. This I know, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There's a lot of things I hear, but this I know, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Instead of sitting around and complaining, instead of, of being okay with the enemy taking saints from the house of God, instead of being okay with our, our loved ones and our family members drifting away from God, I think we need to realize it's time to rise up and to go take back what the enemy has stolen from us. It's time to rise up and like God told David, go and recover all. Go back and get what the enemy has taken from you. Oh. Scripture says about Jesus, it says from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffer violence, and the violent taketh by force. Well, that, that doesn't sound really Christian. That doesn't, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. Well, this is the, the message and the method of how Jesus came. He came with spiritual warfare in mind. And so the ministry of Jesus was not a politically correct ministry. The ministry of Jesus wasn't about walking on eggshells and making sure he didn't hurt feelings. No, the ministry of Jesus was to come against the Pharisees and the scribes. His... The ministry of Jesus was to shine light in dark places. And so he went to places where people said, you can't go. And he said, listen, I've come from the house of Israel. He was shining light on darkness. And so it's time, 
brothers and sisters. Listen, this is not going to come from just the spirit uh, that, that wells up inside of you in a service and you go, yeah, I'm going back. No, this is going to cause you to get on your knees and to war in the spiritual realm. It, you going back and taking what the enemy stole from you is not a mindset. It's not, I'm just going to believe it and I'm going to receive it. No, you're going to have to lock yourself in a prayer closet. You're going to have to go with... You're going to have to refuse the, 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 the meal for a couple nights and a couple days and say, listen, I want this so much that I'm going to give up some things so that I can get back what the enemy stole from me. I want this so badly, I'm going to lock myself in a prayer closet, not for 15 minutes, but I might not. I wish you could hear what I'm saying today. It's right at your fingertips. We have been living beneath what we have been called to be. We are more than. We are not less than. We are greater than. We are not less than. We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. So, so I'm saying it's time to get your peace back. It's time to get your joy back. It's time to get your calling back. It's time to get those dreams back. It's time to get that unsaved loved one and that son and that daughter back. It's time to pick them from the gates of hell and say, I'm going to snatch one from the fire. We're not going to get it by fighting one another. We're not going to get it by gossiping. We're not going to get it by being critical. Everyone can talk about it, but it's time for someone to rise up and say, there's a cause, and I'm going to step into it. I'm not waiting for you. I want you to know that. I'm not waiting for you to get behind me because there, is a, there are 40,000 people in this community that need to know about Jesus. And so if you're coming with me or if you're not, it doesn't matter because I've made up my mind that I'm going to reach the lost. Lord, give us a burden for the lost. Give us a burden, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. David courageously led in the midst of confusion. Lastly, we see David courageously led because there was a command. What do I mean by that? David was anointed king, but, but in the beginning, it was only over the tribe of Judah because Ishbosheth was an, was was anointed uh, illegitimate as he was, but he was anointed king, even though God had not called him, God had not anointed him. There was fighting between David and the house of Saul for seven years. For seven years, David patiently waited in Hebron. He knew he had been called to be the king of all of Israel, but but for seven and a half years, he was only the king of Judah. There came a day when the people said, "It's time to go. Ishbosheth has dead, or has died." It's time to go to Jerusalem and to be and the, the king over all of Israel. And, and David said, I, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And there David was. He was excited. He loved Jerusalem. David, David would sing songs about Jerusalem. He, he wrote psalms about the peace and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. He, he wrote songs about how he loved that old city, that city of Jerusalem. And when he gets to the city of Jerusalem, the, the place he dreamed to be, the place that he would go off to in his mind and remember how it used to be. As he walks through the city gates there, what it was supposed to be Jerusalem was Jebus. And there the Jebusites met him at the gate. And they wouldn't let David in. You're not coming in here. You're not our king. Verse 6 2 Samuel chapter 5, David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and the lame could keep you out. But the Jebusites thought they were safe. But verse 7 says, but David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. Now, understand something. Why is this important? Understand something. God, God was incredibly clear to the Israelites when they, when they came out of, uh, of Egypt and, and they, they roamed around for 40 years because of their uh, disobedience to God, because they're murmuring and they're complaining. But, but there came a day when, when, when they were going to cross the Jordan River and go into the land of promise. And the Lord was very specific about what was to take place. He said, there are some inhabitants 
that when you get into this land, because of the delay, there are some people that have taken residence in this place. And when you get in there, you're to drive them out. You're to destroy them. You're, you're not to create covenant. Here, here's what he said in, in Deuteronomy 7 and 1. He said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the, the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Amorites and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy. He said, the Lord your God is going to deliver them to you. You're, you're not going to have to draw up the battle plan. You're not going to have to go through, through intensive training. The Lord has already given them to you because he's given you the land. You're to utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them. And, and God continually reminds the Israelites of this. And we see it in Exodus 23. We see it in Exodus 34. We see it in Numbers 33. We see it in Joshua 24. And without fail, every time God commands them, there's a long list of names. And at the end of the list is the Jebusites. Get rid of the Hittites. And they would. Cast out the Girgashites, and they did. Evict the Amorites and the Canaanites, and they would. Throw out the Perizzites and the Hivites, and they did. But then there were the Jebusites. The term Jebusites means trodden down or trampled underfoot. But, but there, was, there was one problem about the city of God. David would write a, a psalm, and we've, we've, sent, we've seen it. He said, great is the Lord greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of his holy hill. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole world is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king. We don't use that language, beautiful for situation, but what he's saying is this is an elevated city and it's beautiful for every situation. Strategically, we can see the enemy coming from a while and a far off. It's beautiful. It's an elevated city, but, but we see it become a trodden down city. Yeah, it's, it's the city of our God. Yeah, it's a holy city. But sadly, it had been trampled down underfoot by the Jebusites, and Israel had tolerated it. Scripture tells us that it wasn't for a lack of trying. Judah tried to fight against the Jebusites. Joshua 15 and 63, it says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Benjamin said, we're going to have our try at this. Certainly, we can, we can obey the command of God. He's already given it to us. And Judges 1 and 21 said, but the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And instead of driving them out, they dwelt with them. Instead of kicking them out, they, they began to coalesce, create covenant with them. Instead of totally defeating them, they began to tolerate them. Jesus would later speak of the end times, that, and he would say this in Luke 21 and 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, speaking of the tribulation, and being led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I get the prophecy. I get what is being spoken of, of, the tribulation. However, I also think that it speaks to right now. Jerusalem, the people of God, representing the, the, the people of the name. And within the epistles, we get this clear understanding that the spirit of the Gentiles is not just a people, but it represents the flesh. It represents carnality. 
When Paul is writing to the the churches and he's talking about the contrast between the the Jews and the Gentiles, yes, there's sometimes he's talking about, about the nationalities, but most times he's talking about this is what you used to be. You used to live to the Gentiles, but now you have been called. And Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Could it be that Jesus was thinking about carnality that would try to infiltrate the families of God? That there would come a time that what was once hated would now be tolerated. That what was supposed to be driven out at conversion would now be allowed to dwell. That what was once a strong conviction would eventually turn to compromise. Paul would say this, he would say, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. He was saying, it's just the little things. A little bad batch can affect the whole. Solomon said it's the little foxes that spoils the vine. I think today there's some things that we need to drive out. Things that maybe we've allowed in our home that we need to immediately evict. Things that have been residing in our house and today they need to go. Things that we've laughed at and allowed to entertain us, but they're not godly. And listen, listen to me. Judah tried, but Judah couldn't get out the Jebusites. Praise is not enough to get out carnality. You can come here and you can shout and you can shake out all your bobby pins and you can dance in the presence of the Lord and you can go home and be just as carnal as you were before you walked into this place. There are certain things that take a father standing up and saying, not today, not in my house. There are certain things that take a mother that says, we're going to drive out compromise. I still believe what Paul said when he said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. Touch not the unthink, and I will receive you. The Lord said, don't touch it. Don't tolerate it. So like David, we need to drive it out. If we're going to be victorious, there are things that maybe we've allowed to just, we call them the, the PC sins, the, 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 the tolerable sins, the, 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 the okay sins, the, the thing, I'm not lusting, I'm, I'm not murdering, I'm not, I'm not having anger, but it's, what does it matter if I watch nudity or what does it matter if I watch this? The Lord says, I've asked you to drive it out. I've told you to come out from among them and be separate. If you're going to be a holy people, you can't be living with unclean things. Because it doesn't matter how holy you are, the unclean things will begin to impact and affect and take over. Stand with me if you will. It was a moment that would bookend his ministry. One that was significant to the hour but would also speak volumes for generations to come. And as the disciples watched on, Jesus would brandish a whip. He would begin to drive out the money changers and overturn their tables. What was supposed to be sacred, what was supposed to be holy, had turned corrupt as priests began to cheat the visitors by by forcing them to purchase approved sacrifices at an escalated or a higher cost. It was exploitation at its finest. It was done for financial gain. It was greed. It was elevating commercial gain over spiritual practices. And Jesus would not only do it at the beginning of his ministry, he would do it after the triumphal entry. And Jesus, the second time, would declare boldly, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And he looked at them and he said, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Scripture records that the first time that Jesus did this, disciples watched on in awe. And as they were watching what was taking place, their minds were quickened and they remembered what the prophet said. In John chapter 2 and verse 17, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Think about that statement. 
Jesus was so passionate about the house of God. He was so passionate about the things of God. He was so passionate and, and had overtaken every part of him that when he saw corruption, that when he saw what was unclean, courage rose up inside of him. And he said, I cannot tolerate this. And so what I'm asking today, I wonder if we could get a father or a mother or a child that could say the passion for the house of God, it's eating me up. I can't continue to live this way. I, I can't continue to know more about sports players. I can't continue to know more about pop culture than I do about the things of God. I know you know the whereabouts of, of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, but what do you know about the goodness of God? I know you can tell me who's playing in the Super Bowl, but when's the last time you talked with someone about the things of God? When's the last time the zeal and the passion for the things of God ate you up where you couldn't think about anything else? When you saw the unclean things, it, it caused you to be repulsed. It caused you to be disgusted. And you said, no, not today, not in this house. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so there's some things, honey, that we're getting rid of tonight. There's some things we're no longer going to watch. There's some ways we're no longer going to talk about. Because the zeal and the passion... For his house has eaten me up. Would you just lift your hands all across this building? Lord, I'm asking today, Lord, that a passion and a burden, Lord, would rest upon each of us today. Lord, give us a passion for the things of you. Last week, God, we knelt down at altars and we repented, God. Today, we kneel down on altars and we pray that you would help us to kick out things we've tolerated. God, give us the courage, Lord, to identify and then to follow through on things that would rob us of our joy. God, we're struggling enemies that we've invited into our house. We're seeing outcomes in our family because of things we've invited into our house. God, I pray gossip would leave this church. I pray a critical spirit would be cast out in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray complacency would be driven out. Apathetic believers, God, I pray apathy would fall by the wayside today. That's it. I wonder if you could lift your voice in this room. If you could make your way to this altar. I don't want you to kneel in defeat, but I wonder if you could stand in victory. If you could stand with resolve. You could stand with confidence that today is the day that things change. Today is the day this addiction is going to be kicked once and for all. Today is the day that I'm not going to tolerate the spirit of the Jebusites. I have some dreams that have been trampled down. I have some promises that have been stepped on. My passion, my fire has been trampled down and it's not what it used to be. But God, I pray. Stir me up, God. Stir up the fire, God. Like Jeremiah, let it be a fire. Shut up in my bones.